0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. God bless you all. Please open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. First Corinthians. Does anyone need a Bible? No, we're good. Someday I'm going to ask the Lord to help me figure out. You know, I always look at ser- you know services first and second, and I look out and I'm like, oh, ha- second service. Some second services at first service this morning. First service. And I-, I can't keep track. I just, I, I just every time I think I'm starting to get a um, that's funny. Oh, God is good. Well, as we look and continue on, we're going to begin in verse 11. We've been studying, uh, really, the fruit, right? We've been seeing love. God has had a centered focus in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love, helping to understand that unconditional love, agape love, is central to being able to handle the gifts of the Spirit correctly. Otherwise, if not, we'll end up doing things with the ill motive, or worse, something harmful or hurtful to others. So he's drawn our attention uh, in chapter 13 to that. So if you're just joining us this week and you haven't been with us, that's sort of the context of what's been going on with Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to begin in verse 11, and he's going to be a little bit um, to the point as he starts to talk about spiritual maturity. So if Uh, Again, you weren't with us. It's not that Paul is speaking to the bride of Christ that way, uh, just willy-nilly and laying it down hot, but he had context of why he was coming and describing this because, again, they had been drawing people into themselves rather than drawing people back to Jesus Christ. And before any of us think that, as he says, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, right, to realize that in the carnality of all human beings, we have that capacity, to draw people into ourselves, the carnality in our, in our souls and our hearts that if we're not careful, we could do the same thing. And just reconfirms once again, none of us have arrived and we're so dependent on Jesus Christ. Amen? So dependent on Jesus. Father, we need you right now, Lord. We want to open your word and we want to see all of the fruit and all that your spirit has to say to us. Lord, we pray for the distractions of this week to fade away. We pray, thank you, God, the way you've gone before us in trials and in surgeries and all the things that you've done for us this week, the healings you've brought forward. Lord, your compassion that's never ending. Lord, your love never fleeting. And now, Lord, as we get to take this time, as we, we move anything that could try to rob us of what you want us to see here, we are laser focused on what your spirit has to say Give us understanding, seal it in our hearts, and then put it to action, Lord. Let us not only be hearers, but doers with you, Lord, Lord, that we may mature, that we may become more like you, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus, and all God's people pray. Amen. So Paul says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love in these three, but the greatest of these is love and Paul is not in any way exaggerating the point here, obviously by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and direct revelation through Jesus Christ, as we're told in Galatians chapter one. But specifically, he's saying, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. There were times that when we were growing in our faith through sanctification, when we were young babes in Christ, we drank the milk, it was appropriate. It was right. It's what we knew. We knew nothing else, amen? That's what we knew, Christ and him crucified. And that was more than enough for salvation. But then as God continues to pour into us through sanctification, he expects much is given, much is going required. We're going to grow. We're going to mature. It's the natural response to the word of God. As Romans chapter 12 tells us, our bodies are to be living sacrifices, and it's our reasonable service. It's what he would, he would have for us. And so as we look here, and he says, hey, look, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, when I began to mature, I put away those things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Have you thought about that, when you're going to stand before Jesus Christ face to face? I I love this passage Specifically in verse 12, I think one of the most meaningful scriptures, source of all scriptures inspired and given, I understand. But this verse in chapter 12 has done more in my life personally than I can think of almost any other passage in scripture. It's almost a life verse for me. When I look at it and I study it, for now I see dimly this mirror, this idea that Corinth, I mean, this is where mirrors were developed and created, I mean, in some capacity. They were known for their production of mirrors. It's no coincidence that God has drawn us back to the attention of of what they could produce themselves. But their mirrors were not like the mirrors we have today. They were sort of, you know kind of foggy-ish. You know, you ever see a window break and a kind of little fog comes in it doesn't look clean and clear? That's, that's what was the mirrors of this day. It's not like the mirrors we have today. He says, when you look in that mirror, it's kind of dim. You, you don't really see everything clearly. He says, that's what it's going to be like when we stand before Jesus. He says, when we stand before Jesus face to face, he says, not only are we going to see clearly God, he's, he already has always seen us, but we're going to be known by him. In our identity, who we are now, we, we don't completely understand. It's somewhat dim for us. I mean, we have scripture that teaches us we're sons and daughters of the living God, but but he says here very clearly, now I know in part, but then it shall be known just as I am also known. How does God know you? Does he know every hair on your head? Does he know every thought that you have? Did he not create you beautifully? Are you not wonderfully made? Did he not find humanity very good in the beginning? And everything that he did when he saved you, are you not very good now with the new nature that he's given you? With the perfection he's put in you through his righteousness In the way that he sees you? This verse deals more with identity than any other passage in scripture, in my opinion. Because when we stand before Jesus, it's not more faith we're going to be praying for. Faith will be done away with then. We'll be face to face with God. What would we need faith for at that point? Hope. We're not going to be praying for more hope, confidence in the Greek, right? We're, We're not going to be praying for that. We're standing face to face with Christ. What is the only thing that we have been learning about through scripture as he just brought us through 13, chapter 13 here, which is about agape love. What is the only thing that will last throughout and into eternity? He's telling us It's love, right? Love. That's what he's showing us. That's what he's telling us here. And he's drawing our attention to it. And I think it's important because when you look at the cares of the world, you look at the depression that we see before us today, depression at all-time highs. You look at the anxiety that we see today. Again, anxiety at an all-time high. Suicide rates, people wanting to harm themselves at an all-time high. Do you know what the antidote to that is? Do you know what the crux and how that all comes right to the single point? This verse addresses it. It tells us that when we put our eyes on Jesus, when we see him, when we are known in ourselves, our identity, who we are in Christ Jesus, then we have a right understanding. We no longer think of harming oneself. That's preposterous. We're blood-bought. We're children of the living God. We would never dare touch something that doesn't belong to us. We would never think ill of ourselves in a a, a negative way of a a depression where our eyes are focused on us and we wish we were something other than who we are or gifts other than we've been given because we we know God doesn't make mistakes and the giftings he's given us and the love he has for us supersedes anything that we could ever think about ourselves. And any anxiety or fear or care that we have in this life It's going to fade away, and it doesn't really matter because when we stand in his presence and our eyes are on him, what are we afraid of? And who do we fear? I mean, really, what can they do to the body? They could could destroy the body, but they cannot touch the soul and spirit. This is such a powerful verse. It is our identity. It's what saves us from selfishness and puts us in the proposition of selflessness. Right before God. Who are we and who are we seen by Jesus? That's the only opinion that matters. Not our own of ourselves, not ours of others, but who Jesus sees us as. We will be known as we have been known. Not, our, not, not you know, as we kind of think we were known. No, as we've been known. Is God not sovereign? Does he not know every aspect of you, every fiber that he put in you? There's not a single person here this morning that should be the, believe the lie from the pit of hell that somehow you are not what God wants you to be, a son or daughter of the living God. Don't you ever believe the lie from the enemy? He's so seductive. He's so sneaky. He tries to wire these things in to make us doubt, to make us have uncertainty. To weaken the army of God. Notice he doesn't usually attack unbelievers that way. No, he comes after the bride of Christ because he knows the stakes are high. Paul says, and now, now that you know who you are in Christ, now that you know that you don't see yourself accurately entirely because you look in a mirror that's dim. But knowing that Christ sees you and that you will stand before him face to face and whether you were there or not, he sees you now and how he sees you, you can read in his instruction manual, 33, you know, 66 books he's given us, pardon me, love letters to tell us exactly who he thinks we are. Sons and daughters of the God most high, the apple of his eye, rubies and jewels beyond anything we can compare. His love for us. He says, now abide in faith, hope, and love. Now that you understand this, Corinth, now that you begin to know who you are, now get after it. And that's what he's going to go into chapter four. He says, but don't you ever forget the grace of these things. If you learn one thing, Corinth, it's it doesn't matter what giftings you have. If you don't proceed with unconditional love, you have missed it. What did he say earlier? Love never fails. And up in verse two, if I not love, I am Nothing. Nothing. So he goes in chapter 14 as he begins to talk about corporate behavior, and Paul now declares it in verse 13 of chapter 13, and now in verse, you know, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Now do it. Now do it. It's the call to action. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, underline this, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. You see, too often we find in hyper charismatic denominations that it's kind of like a pendulum. I picture it very much like that. Uh, One side of that pendulum is hyper, you know, charismatic movements, which are, you know, do all these things, and there's so much emphasis on the Spirit of God, which is, is good. I mean, it's, the, you know, it's, it's God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, right? It, it's good. He's God. But there's so much emphasis on it that they neglect the teaching of the Word or doing things in decency and order, as we read in chapter 14, verse 40. But God doesn't do anything that way. It's not sort of a halfway or a balance. It's the fullness. You see, the other side of that spectrum, which if I could go to a denomination, maybe you know the, the Baptists, Bap- Baptists not, not all Baptists, certainly we don't want to camp out on a particular denomination, but, but we know that there's Baptists that are more inclined to be sensationists, those that believe the gifts are not for today. Certainly not all of them, right? You can't go up to somebody, no different than you couldn't go up to a Roman Catholic and say, well, you're not saved, is no different than you couldn't go up to a Baptist and say, well, you don't believe the gifts are alive today. Everybody needs to answer that question for themselves, putting themselves under the Word of God. So it's a spectrum. One side, sensationism, right? The other side, hyper, right? Hyper-charismatic. Calvary Chapel, we come right in the middle. We take a line-by-line exhortation of the Word of God in a fullness approach of right in the middle, believing that the gifts are here today, and that they're to be done with decency and order. We certainly don't believe they're not valuable, or they've ceased 2,000 years ago, and we certainly don't believe that they're causing us to do things without decency and order. That, that's what we understand here. So Paul is going to go through, and he's going to say, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and specifically the gift I want to draw your attention to this morning, he's going to say, is the gift of prophecy. Why? Because he's going to talk about tongues. And it may seem disparaging. He's not being disparaging when he's talking about the gift of tongues. He's comparing it to the difference of speaking in an unknown language that you may not understand, compared to uh, gifting or seeing something that's bringing edification, right? Building up, right? Lifting up and comforting or consoling. And see, that's why I'm drawing attention to the prophesy. I want you to think about that. If some of you speak a language, if you walked into a church, and he's going to make this whole point in chapter 14, and you heard people talking in gibberish, right? Uh, Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I'm wrecked by Charlie Brown, right? Peanuts, you know? Wah, 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 wah. You'd kind of be looking around like, well, that's, they're good wah, wah, wah wahs, but I don't really understand what's going on here. You're not going to be super filled and fed with that, are you? Right? How many of you traveled? You've gone over to other countries, right? Somebody goes up to you and says, parlo italiano. You're going to say, yes, I speak, or no, I don't speak Italian, right? Maybe you're hungry. I draw attention to food. Oh, fame, I have hunger, right? Or maybe, you know, somebody comes up and says, dove avete familia, Where is your family from, right? Maybe you, you make these conversations. But if you don't understand a foreign language, what did you just hear? Wah, 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 right? Right? If you understood Italian, you knew what I said. Right, but if you didn't understand, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't understand. This is what he's drawing our attention to here. All of us can understand love. All of us can understand edification. All of us can understand building others up. That's what he's talking about. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. Underline that, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Mysteries. Look, look in your Bible, at Acts chapter two, please. Acts chapter two we can get, see some of these gifts in action. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 11. He was speaking to the Cretans and the Arabs, right? And as they're so we hear them speaking in our own tongues. In other words, they understood or could hear the language. And what were they doing? What, were, what did they understand them saying as they were speaking in a tongue? What were they doing? Speaking the wonderful works of God. They were praising God. That's what we see the gift of tongues being used to do. Have you ever heard somebody speak the gift of tongues and then somebody try to give an interpretation? And I'm not talking about during a church meeting. We know it's not, a you know, the word of God's going forward. We wouldn't expect it now in a church meeting, but in a prayer meeting, you know, on a Sunday night or an afterglow or sometime we're gathered and there's a prayer meeting and we're all, and somebody exercises the gift of of tongues and it's appropriate and somebody gives an interpretation and says, don't get on that plane, you're going to die tomorrow. Have you ever heard somebody do that? Or, I don't know about you, that doesn't really build me up, right? I'm I'm not comforted by that. That's not the gift of prophecy. That's not the gift of prophecy. That's not a praise of God. That's not what we see. Well, pastor, you're just picking on this in chapter 2 here of Acts. Well, turn to chapter 10. Look Look at chapter 10. Look at verse 46 again you, you you can keep it's all replete throughout scripture it, it tells us how to do these things correctly how to how to exercise these gifts in decency and order with love for they heard them speak with tongues and what did they do magnify God they worship they praise that's what the gift of tongues is for it's not for man but it's for God that's what we we learn here okay Perfect And he says something else. He says, look, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. What does that mean? It means when somebody's going wah, 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 and they're speaking at that moment in the tongue, right? Do you understand if you don't have the gift of interpretation what they're actually saying? No, but they're speaking mysteries unto God. And they're speaking that truth and praise and worship. It's a prayer language unto God. But we don't know what it is, necessarily, unless there be the gift of interpretation. Then we all can be encouraged by that once we understand. In verse 3, he says, but this, this is the, so it's very, very clear, this is what the gift of prophecy is about. Prophecy speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. It builds up, it stirs up, and it consoles. Now, the Greek word for comfort here isn't just to console someone. Many of you, I imagine, have empathy towards other people. You might go up to somebody that's hurting, and maybe you, you know, I'm sorry, you want to comfort them. You meet them right where they're at. But this word in the Greek doesn't just leave them in that empathy moment. It strengthens them. It brings them to the point of where they're able to continue the walk. It's to console with strength. That's what that idea of comfort means here. He who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. He builds up the church because he's, again, building up through stirring up and through, you know, consoling someone with strength. Did you know that's what you're doing when you come in the morning and you come in midweeks and all different ministries and during the week and bread ministry, different ministries, you know, you guys all come in and serve. When you speak a word like that from the Holy Spirit into somebody, You are exercising the gifts. God is using you as a vessel, and you're using the gifts with decency and order. And you're building up, right? You're exhorting, and you're edifying, and you're comforting. You're stirring up. It's beautiful. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive the edification, right? Again, he's not slamming or knocking tongues. He's simply saying that when we do this this way, we will be built up. And that's why we know during a church service, we don't expect the gift of tongues going forward. Because what is God using at that very moment to build us up? His word. His word is going forward. His word is touching our hearts and our minds and our souls right now. And God's never going to interrupt himself. God's not going to do that. It's the Holy Spirit. He's not going to do that. The idea here is that prophecy benefits all, right? Verse 6 But now, brethren, I come to you speaking with tongues. What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? This is important. Over the years, we have seen, if you study church history, We've seen many movements of the Holy Spirit, right? The ones that traditionally uh, sustain or last are those that have exactly like he said, those of either revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. What's he talking about? Remember earlier he says, hey, when we do things, when I was a boy, I did things as a boy or a child, and then I became a man. And he's describing maturity and discipleship. What he's saying here now is many times we've seen these wonderful things the Holy Spirit's begun to spark up, and it's exciting, and, and, and you know, people move, run to those cities where the Holy Spirit's presenting these gifts, and he's pouring this out on a people, and it's, it's wonderful. But without a teaching, without the Word of God going forward to sustain it, to keep it going, to mature and to bounce, what ends up happening? We end up on that side of the spectrum again where we get a hyper-charismatic movement that eventually just fizzles out because there was no teaching. There was no coming together. There was no stirring, building up, remember? There's none of this understanding and maturing because God's purpose in us, turn in Ephesians 4. Turn Ephesians 4 in your Bibles. What is God doing? What's he doing? Why do we come here, you know, day after day, right? Week after week. Verse 12 in chapter 4 answers that very question. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God wants to build up the body of Christ. He wants to build you and I up. He wants to strengthen us. He wants us to build others up and strengthen them. He wants to equip us for the work. What work? His work. The work he would put on our hearts to do, to show us. He he desires that we would be surrendered and faithful, and he does the work in us. He's the author of sanctification. He's the author. He begins and finishes. That's why he's saying this. He's coming through and he's saying, look, What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either in revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? I can give you the Spirit. He says the Spirit of God can be poured out, but if, if there's no maturity that's coming alongside that in teaching, it will fizzle out. It won't sustain and it won't last. Even things without life... Whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction, what is that distinction? If you're a, a musician or a, a worship leader or you, you, you play an instrument, we would call that pitch, right? It's how we know how to follow. Someone stands up here earlier, uh, Zach and Karen helped lead us in worship this morning. And, you know, they began to play a, a hymn or a song. They start out with chords, And we recognize those chords, and we know what to do. We sing along, right, in the words, and we praise God. It no longer becomes them. We no longer see those people up here. Well, our eyes are closed, and we begin to see Jesus, and we're worshiping and praising Jesus. That's what happens. Well, he says, even inanimate objects explain that. There's a distinction in the sounds. How will you know that it is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? Remember then, they, you know, 2,000 years ago, they used the trumpet, charge, head into battle. How, you, how will you know? So likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words, easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking in the air. I thank God for linguistics. I thank God for translations. How many different languages the Bible has been translated into? And it's being sent all around the world. I praise God for that. We just had a sister, Laura. She was over in Israel, right, serving as a missionary. We're going to have her come next uh, Sunday she's going to share first and second service for about 10 to 15 minutes on what the Lord had done there because we sent her over there and we want to hear what God did at the orphanages as she went to different places and she was you know bringing the word she brought bibles over there and she gave it to the to the people of Israel and so that they could learn the word of God you know they the new testament and in the you know in Hebrew and what have you It's beautiful. I thank God for linguistics, but If we come into a building and people are just you know, speaking gibberish, I don't know what else to say, blah, 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 and you hear it, you're going to look at them kind of funny, aren't you? What are they saying? What are they doing? He says it's like you're speaking into the air. There are, and it may be, so many kind of languages in the world, and none of them are without significance. Did you ever think about that? Each language that we have today is very, very important very important. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. As I mentioned, if I speak in a foreign language to you right now, and you don't understand that foreign language, did it do you any good at that moment? No, right? We don't know what we're saying. We don't know how we're talking to each other. Even so, you, since you are zealous... He says, Corinth, even so you, because you are zealous and you desire it, the gifts, let it be for edification for the church that you seek to excel. He says, let it be that you build up the church with the giftings that you're seeking. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Do you see that? the one who's going to be exercising in a prayer meeting, the gift of tongues, he or she should be praying already that there will be what? An interpretation. He's telling the person, the person that's going to speak these things, that they should have already begun in praying for an interpretation even before they speak it of the Lord. So that it would edify and build up the body of Christ. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. It, the idea here is it just passes over. In the Greek, you know, we kind of say it's over my head. It passes over. That's, that's the idea behind it. And here's the point in verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, so be it, or amen? Right? If I, if I, if if you didn't understand what I was saying and I say amen, some of you are going to go, huh? What's amen mean? I mean, so be it, amen, right? We say amen. At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For indeed, give thanks well. For indeed, you give thanks well. But the others the other is not edified i thank my god i speak with tongues more than you all yet in the church i would rather speak five words with my understanding than i may teach others also the 10,000 words in a tongue did you catch that list that paul brought out for us in those few verses there of what the gifting of tongues does or what the list of tongues what it actually does it's more than just yes it's praise and worship but he 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 brings it to more than just A spoken word unto God. Did you catch that? Look back in your Bibles with me. I mean, he he says here, pray, right? Look it back at verse 15. And I will also pray in the Spirit. Look at um, later on in verse 15, uh, 15b, if I can say it that way. I will sing with the Spirit. So we see prayer, we see singing, hymns in the Spirit. Have you ever heard somebody sing in a tongue? I've heard someone sing in tongues. It's a a song. they're singing. They're worshiping God, right? Next thing you look at verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless, circle that, bless. When you're praising God and you're worshiping, it's a blessing that way we see. And then in verse 17, the last thing I see is, for you indeed give thanks. There's thanksgiving as we're praying and we're speaking in tongues. We see thanksgiving in this. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. But Paul did want, Paul wanted to give them more than just a tongue. He wanted them to receive. You see, a tongue is very unidirectional with God. It, it's something you give, but, but isn't it better, he says, that others would receive than us just receive individually. Isn't it better that, you know. It's better to give than to receive as we say. That others would be filled that way. And prophecy is the way to do that through edification, because you're building up. That's what he's telling them here. That's why he says, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than ten thousand words in a tongue. This is this is showing maturity rather than looking to draw people to yourself because. One exhibits a more holier-than-thou attitude or, or, or somehow drawing attention to oneself. Not not everybody does that, by the way. There are things that are done in decency and order. But if that's the character or motive behind it, he's saying, no, I'd rather just five words that I could speak to somebody. And those five words would build them up than 10,000 words that, that, isn't, that they can't understand. And, and, and there's no fruit for that. There's no love that was demonstrated there. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. He's describing, don't, don't be selfish, and that would be selfless. It is written in the law. Now, we're going to an interesting passage in Scripture. Really, passage uh, the verses 21 through 25 have um, been somewhat difficult for scholars over the years. There is no agreement on what this passage actually is trying to convey by the scholars. For every scholar you find that says this, there's another scholar that says, no, that can't be. Uh, It's one of those areas in Scripture that we come to very delicately, we we, we desire uh, understanding. Um, I'm going to share what I believe. Uh, You be Bereans on that. Um, I'm very much a fundamentalist when I come to the Word of God. I believe the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture. I don't mind commentaries. I will use them at times. However, I do believe the word of God is the best interpreter of Scripture through the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's a coincidence in verse 21 that he's going to quote Isaiah 28. And I think if you understand in context what was going on when you read Isaiah chapter 28, it's very clear. Isaiah was a prophet who was given to Israel, right? He was specifically to be a mouthpiece to the Israelites. He spoke Hebrew, a language which they what? understood because the Israelites spoke Hebrew and as we read it it'll make more sense why I'm saying this. he warns them of a judgment that's coming that's the passage that, that he quotes from that Paul speaks of and the the passage he speaks he says who's going to come in and invade you he's talking about Israel north not South Judah but he says in the north who's going to come in the Assyrians it's going to be what leads to the Assyrian invasion he's warning them he's telling them about the judgment if they don't turn, from their idolatrous ways. But they don't listen, even though he spoke to them in their native language, Hebrew. They still wouldn't listen through the mouthpiece of Isaiah. What has he been just talking about with us in context? Understanding, words, right? Tongues, an unknown. We don't understand what someone's saying without interpretation. So he begins to tell us this is what was happening. He told them about all the different things, and what would eventually, to the Assyrian invasion, which is where we get the people group of the Samaritans, right? That's where the Samaritans come from. They intermarried with the Assyrians and formed a new people group that we later on became the Samaritans, a mixed people group, if you will. So keeping all that in context, when I read this to you, I want you to just take the most natural, plain understanding you can from the Word of God. Without any presuppositions, if you've gone through these passages before and you've read a commentary or a scholar, uh, we appreciate their opinions, but let's let the word of God speak. And I think we'll come to the natural understanding. At least I believe I understand what I believe the Lord is showing me, but you be Bereans, okay? In the law it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, because they didn't listen, Isaiah, speaking of the Hebrew, they wouldn't listen to him, says the Lord, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophesying is for the unbelievers, but for not for the unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and speaks with tongues and comes into the area who are uninformed or unbelievers, they will say, you are out of your mind. But if I prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So, do do you see the conflict here? One moment, it's it's sort of contradictory. You could see the contradiction in what he's saying, because in one minute he's saying, don't speak with a tongue, but then he's saying the tongue is actually a what? A sign. Now, friends, it's very simple. Does the word of God ever contradict itself? Never. We can start with a good hermeneutical understanding and a basis on that. So we know that's off the table. Certainly Paul is not contradicting himself. Therefore, there must be something else he's communicating to us through this. What is it? And I think you get my point of what I was already setting up with the understanding of Isaiah. So at the end of the day, when he gave us Isaiah, what is he really saying here? I think Paul is saying, here's a sign, but it's the wrong sign that you want to give. If you give that sign of tongues, that sign traditionally and in the past through the prophets, those of Jewish origin would have seen that and understood that sign. And they would have said, you know what? Last time somebody spoke to us, and we didn't understand Assyria coming in to invade them, it brought what? A curse, not a blessing. So this sign brings what? A curse and not a blessing. In other words, what he's saying simply is this is not the sign that you'd rather give. It is a sign to an unbeliever, but it's a sign that it's speaking of a curse, not of a blessing. And what is the whole point of what Paul is trying to do right now? He's trying to teach the Corinthians to do what to each other? To curse each other? To divide? No, they got that licked. He's trying to teach them to do what? To build up, to love, to encourage, to edify, to exhort, right? To comfort, to console. He's teaching them the very opposite of what they were doing in their carnality. Remember, he's talking to believers. You and I. And he's saying here, look. It's not the sign you want to use. Certainly, it's a sign for unbelievers that they can see something is happening. But when they receive it, they're going to receive it as a curse. It's not a blessing because ultimately, they're going to say, you are out of your mind. You're out of your gourd. What are you talking about? And we all know like that. You know, you've gone to church meetings, much like what we're doing right now, where you gather and all of a sudden people are breaking out in tongues and it's just, you know, who's over here? Who's over here? And I mean, it's just, and yet... The word of God, hopefully, is going forward, right? So it's contradictory in some extent, or should I say interrupting, if, if nothing the less. But it's, it's confusion. It's, 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 it's hard to follow. And you'll, you've been to churches like that, and, and when you go in and you visit a church like that, you might be like, wow, you know, I really love, I can, these people are very loving, things are good. But something s- stirs you that when you think, well, gosh, should I bring my friend? I'd like to bring Peter. I'd like to bring Susie. But you think twice, Because if you know you bring Peter or Susie in, what are they going to do? Are they going to turn around and have that moment of spiritual connection where they're going to go, wow, this is a really loving church and the word of God's being taught? And man, look at the manifestation of the gifts. Everything's being done with decency and order. And they're going to feel welcomed? Or are they going to turn around and go, what is going on here? I don't understand any of it. And did it bring a blessing or did it bring a curse? So we understand it's, it's a proper just letting the word of God speak. That seems to be what Paul is saying here. It's evident. And, and so, what do we do? We think twice about bringing our friends, don't we? In a place like that. Because uh, are they ready? Are they mature? Can they, you know what I mean? We think twice about those things. So, as we continue on, well, he says, but if we all prophesy, or prophesy in verse 14, and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, here's the other thing that happens. He's convinced by all, and he's convicted by all. What does that mean? What happens? It means when you, back in verse 3 of chapter 14, when you speak edification, you build up. When you exhort, you stir up. And when you comfort, you console with strength. When someone walking in that's an unbeliever sees that, they're drawn to that. Case in point, Jesus Christ, he ate with sinners, amen? Did he turn around and say, you know what? I'm going to change the word a little bit. I know this law and the word's kind of heavy on you. You know what? You could sin a little bit, just a little bit this time. Yeah, just a little, little spike the punch, just a little in the Kool-Aid. No, Jesus didn't say anything like that. He was the fullness of truth, right, without compromise. But he ate with sinners. What did they see that was so different from the religious leaders at that time? They were so busy trying to keep the law, they were straining a gnat, they were being legalistic, that they weren't demonstrating the very thing he was trying to help them understand what the word of God was speaking, even the law, if understood correctly, and that was love and the character of God and how he desires that they would be saved and come unto him and how he wanted to keep them, Israel as is a people group, that even through the wilderness as he brought them into the promised land, how we just read in Deuteronomy, we just closed out the book, we're starting in Joshua this Wednesday, but how how they turned around he says, God, I've got great plants for you. He even gave him a song, right? Do you remember that? The Song of Moses, that they were to remember and teach their children, and it had a blessing in it, but it also had prophetically cursing in it, that if you don't do these things, here's what's going to happen to you, the judgment that awaits you. Well, here's Jesus. He wrote the Word of God. He inspired it, all of it. He goes and he sits with the sinners. Sat with me. And he met me there, and you know what he did? He had koinia. He had fellowship with me. I was so drawn by his spirit that I didn't want anything of the world anymore. It lost its saltiness, the world, the, the flavor, the, the money, the jobs, the, all the fancy things. of the. I didn't care about any of that. I wanted Jesus, and I wanted more of him because I couldn't get enough of his love. That's what happened to all of us, Right? We got saved because he saved us. He met us where we were. He didn't wait us for us to kind of overcome our sin. He knew we couldn't. He met us in our sin and saved us from it with his righteousness. And that's what we're seeing here. So he says, when you prophesy and you build up and you edify and you stir up and you, you turn around in comfort, and you guess what it's going to do? It's going to draw that unbeliever to Jesus because they're going to see something they don't have anywhere else. And that's the love of Jesus Christ, which is unconditional love, agape love. It's so beautiful and simple. Beautiful and simple, the way that God explains this. He says, and they'll also be convicted because maybe they themselves are going to go, I don't have that love. Do you ever wrestle with that? I know I do. You know, there's times where I'm reading something in the Word or maybe I, I... you know when I'm not sharing here. If I take a vacation uh, and I'm, I you know I certainly go to another Calvary. I'm in church and the Word of God's and I'm sitting back there with my wife and the kids or, you know and I'm sitting back there and I'm hearing the Word of God and I'm I'm, I'm out there with you and set up here and um, there's times something you know maybe the the pastor says through the Holy Spirit he just puts it on his heart and I, I thought wow man that's heavy, that seems real that's also that's I'm very loving, what do you mean I didn't what, do you, what do you mean I I like this so then. What are you trying to tell me about me? And all of a sudden, you know, I got a real problem. This guy, where is this? What Calvary Chapel is this? Where are we? That is isn't love. That is isn't grace. Get in my car. Only for the Lord to turn around and go, is it my word? Have I not lifted my name above my very word? Do you have a problem with him? Do you have a problem with that man, or do you have a problem with the word of God? Take it up with the author. Wow, Lord, that's heavy. You ever have that experience? I've had that experience. That's, that's what he's talking about. You're convicted. You see something different. Maybe you thought in this particular case, love is on display, right? Using gifts correctly is on display. He's saying when you see that done correctly, you might even be convicted by that and go, why? Even if you're not a believer. I, I, I want some of this. It it, it transforms the heart. You're either going to get bitter or better as you get older, right? We, we know that. We're either going to get bitter or better. And, and, and you, you know, I think of Simon the Sorcerer. I mean, look at him. He got, you know, it appears he got saved if you read the passage in Acts. But then he sees the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what does he want to do? He wants to buy it so he could profit or so he could have a power. That's what Paul is talking to the church at Corinth here. They are misusing these gifts. And they're doing it to draw attention to themselves in some some, uh, super spiritual experience. And all it's doing is creating creating a wake of carnage and destruction. He says that's not how you win people to Christ. You win people to Christ by investing in them and loving them right where they are. It doesn't mean you turn around and you, like Jesus, if there's sin, you call the sin out in love. You invest. Hey, maybe you shouldn't... uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know, pornography, you shouldn't be looking at that stuff anymore. You know, that's no good for you. That's Egypt. Get away from Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the flesh pots. Right? We're saved. We're saved from something. Saved from ourselves, number one, but saved not to go back. Right? And thus, the secrets of his heart are revealed. Do you see that? The other thing that happens is when the word of God goes word, it doesn't return void. That even when they don't know what's happening, the manifestation of the Spirit doing what we can't see with the eyes, is doing something in the heart of that believer, in, in that unbeliever, excuse me. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Not because we manifested some gifts of speaking, of blah, 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 and people were like, whoa, look at him going, you know. No, it's going to be the what? The love and everything done in decency or people are going to go, God's in this place. You know, the, the best, I love the most comforting thing. We have pastors come through here, brothers and sisters in Christ. They all invite people to come in and share. You've been, Pastor Ted and other guys have come in, Pastor Scott, different people. We've come, come through. You know, the, the greatest thing that, that an under-shepherd could hear from any man of God that's like-minded is, boy, on the day of the rapture, this parking lot's going to be crazy empty. Yeah, it is. Because we ain't going to be here. Right? a maturing of the body of Christ, right? Truly amazing, truly amazing. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you, so now he gets to the point, he says, now, so if this be true, then how is it, brothers and sisters or brothers, that everybody's got a psalm, everybody's got a teaching, everybody's got a tongue, and everybody has a revelation, and everybody has an interpretation? He says let all things be done for edification. He says what's happening is when you come to the prayer meeting everybody's so busy trying to get theirs in that what happens it becomes a competition. I got to speak in a tongue before anybody else speaks in a tongue. Right? I got to do this before anybody else. I got to I got to I got you know what somebody just gave a tongue and there's no interpretation right away and it's been like 3 seconds. And people get nervous because we didn't hear an interpretation yet. That means, oh, what do we do? What's the pastor going to do? We look to him. We look to the other. What are they going to do? It's got a church meeting. It's got a prayer meeting. It's got to be ordered. What do we do? And everybody's like, why don't we wait for the Spirit of God to give us the interpretation? He will. If the tongue was given, the interpretation will be given. Why don't we do all things with decent? You know, but what but, but he's saying is, you know, who's going to jump in there first? It's a selfishness to want to manifest all these gifts. And for whatever reason, the motive of the heart here. Let all the things be done for edification, again, for building up. Take turns at our prayer meetings. You ever go to prayer meetings where one person prays over and over again? And why do we change our accents? Why does that happen? Why, when people begin to pray, pray do we, and though the Lord, like they pray in like King James, Old English, 1611. What happens? Like the Holy Spirit doesn't overwhelm you to like, you know, start if you speak with like an Italian, little bit of a New Yorker, you know, I'm just saying, you know, little New Yorker kind of thing, it doesn't all of a sudden go into beautiful, like a lesbian, you know, kind of Queen's English, you know, like, well, or the King's English. It just doesn't happen. You, you know what I mean? You've been at prayer meetings, all where you've heard people do that and it, it sounds eloquent, and, and, and boy, where's that from? What spirit's that from? Right? God, just simple. It's, it's sometimes we just need to do it naturally, just the manifest, manifesting of the gifts naturally. It just should be done natural. It's supernatural in the gift, but it's it's natural. He chose to use us. If he wanted to make it entirely supernatural, he you know he didn't have a problem speaking in Mount Sinai, did he? You know, everybody whoa they heard the word of God. They were like whoa. You know, they're like no no no. You, Aaron Moses, you, you speak to him. You do it. No, he we we can be natural. We can if anyone speaks. In a tongue, let there be two or three, or at the most three, excuse me. Let there be two or at three at the most. He's saying, look, at a prayer meeting, two or three people should speak in tongues. That's predominantly it. We shouldn't have five, seven, ten, twenty, thirty. You know, the prayer meeting's five hours long, not because we have direct revelation or a word of knowledge or something God's given us, or because we th- but because we got to wait for every single person to have their, The saith the, you know, first of all, not even exercising the gifts. Because we know that our prayer language is between God and not man. Let each in turn, that's the other thing he teaches us, that we ought to pray and then let somebody else take a turn to pray and let somebody else take a turn and let one interpret, not two to three different interpretations for the same tongue. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. This is an important passage here because how many people have you heard over your years in Christianity, if you've been saved more than a day, and you've gone to more than one prayer meeting, and, you know, I we do an altar call. Somebody comes up, and they're getting saved, and all of a sudden, um, they start to yell out. Somebody yells out in a tongue. I mean, it's during a church meeting, which is not correct, right, in that point anyway. Should be at a prayer meeting, but Needless to say, the person's coming up; they're going to give their life to Christ. And all of a sudden, people start yelling out in a tongue in the ear, and and you know, you have one of the pastors assistant pastor, one of the elders go up and go, you know, because you never want to, certainly you never want to hurt anybody in that moment. And You just, hey, look, you know, you bring them to First Corinthians fourteen, say, look, everything's done with decency and order, and you know, we show them these things and gently and lovingly. But in that moment, you sometimes hear, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, I couldn't control it. I was overcome with the Holy Spirit. I couldn't control it. I bring them back to the passage and I said, Please, please show me that in the Bible. I'm sorry. I don't find that. That's not biblical. I said, Do you, do you understand the difference between the Holy Spirit and Lucifer? First of all, believers cannot be demon possessed. Number one, we all understand that you can be what? You can be afflicted, you can be oppressed but you're never as a believer going to be demon possessed. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit and God do everything with decency and order. He's a gentleman. He's always a gentleman. He's not forcing anybody to do anything. How many times has the Lord given you a word or something to say and you come back and go, maybe you didn't say it, and you go, I wish I would have been faithful. Maybe you're in the car driving home after the prayer meeting and oh, I really should have said the Lord put that on my heart and I don't know whatever reason. Maybe I was thinking, is it stupid? Is it my head? You know, whatever. And you weren't fit. He says, look, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church. If God is telling you to keep silent, what's he telling you? You have the capability to do what? Keep silent. That's what he's saying. You are not overwhelmed or overcome by the Holy Spirit in a way where you can't be in order. It's not like he possesses you in a way where you no longer control your, your state of mind or, or anything like that. We don't read that in Scripture. No, we read just the opposite of that. All things are done in decency and order. And we read that a demon-possessed man, an unbeliever, is actually not in his state of mind. It can be thrown into a fire and against his will. But that's not what we read for someone in the Spirit of God. And let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others judge. Now, that's very clear. I mean, you can look at 1 John in your Bibles, chapter 4. We see this, 1 John chapter 4, if you look at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We read the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. He says that when someone speaking the Spirit were to test the Spirit of God, is it of the Lord? What's the first thing we test? Does it contradict Scripture? If it contradicts Scripture, uh-uh. That's not of it. That's not it. If it's a, not a word of edification, if somebody stands up and says, you are all going to die tomorrow in a plane crash. We're not even going to be on a plane together. That, that all aside, right, for a moment. What? That doesn't edify me. That doesn't encourage me. It certainly doesn't comfort me. I don't know about you. I'm not feeling real good about getting on the plane then. No. Could there be another way that God might speak a word of wisdom in that or a word of knowledge? Maybe. And he might say, hey, brother, sister, have you prayed? Is the Lord put, you know, putting you on this or that or should you go on? Certainly. That's done with decency and order. But if he's going to tell us something or she's going to tell us something about a future event, Deuteronomy 18 is very clear. One, as we just read in 1 John chapter 4, we're to test that spirit and judge the pastors or whoever's officiating. The prayer meeting needs to do that, the elders, and you all. You're all ministers of God. You you need to, you know the word. We're reading it. You know what it's supposed to be done like. If we hear something like that, no, 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 that's not, a, you stay, uh, the pastor has to stand up in that case and go, I'm sorry, that's not of the Lord. It's got to declare it. That's not of the Lord. That's not what we see in scripture. In Deuteronomy, it says that if someone gives, I've had two ladies in this fellowship, right, over the last few years, three actually, pardon me, I think I said two first service, three, who said, you know what? this is what I think the Lord's going to do one day, or this is what may happen. So I write it down and I date it. If it come to be true, then I turn around and I declare those people, those individuals, a prophet or prophetess of the Lord. If it doesn't come to be true, I have to declare in front of the congregation those people are not prophets of God or prophetesses of God, right? It it depends on if it's timeline or, you know, if they say, well, next year, you know, the world's going to come to an end, you know, those kind of things. We're to judge the spirits. He says, let the others judge. But if, anything is revealed another, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and may be encouraged. That's the goal. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There it is again in verse 32. Another place that we read, not only in verse 28, but the spirit, did you see that And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Again, the Holy Spirit can't make you do anything or say anything that's not of God that way. You're not out of control in the moment. You're not the excuse of, I threw myself down to bark like a dog and I couldn't help it. No. I mean, all the nonsense that's going on in the church today. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You hear these things happening? This is why unbelievers are afraid to come into the church. Because this nonsense that's going on, and people start to think, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen if I go in there? Are they going to... Am I going to get slain in this? Where is that in the Bible? You know, am I going to start barking like a dog, running around like a crazy person with a flag? And you know, am I am I so worried about the pixie dust that's going to come from the sky that, it, you know, I mean, really, we got to talk about these things, church, because this is not of the Lord. When God does something in a manifestation like that, praise God. We test the spirit to be of the Lord and be of the Lord. But we don't turn around and then not teach the word. We don't turn around, not disciple. We don't, you know, we're to do all these things. But the prophets are subject to, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak But they are, what, to be submissive, as also the law says. You guys are thinking, some of the ladies, I can see it already. I saw some of the smiles. So here it is. You guys are like, we were having such a nice morning. Sunday morning, it was nice. Second service, you know, we're all in here. We're like, this is good. Everybody's like, yes. And then, Pastor, you had to go, and clearly God misspoke there. No, right? I mean... How many times does that happen? Laleo is the Greek term if you're looking for it to speak, right? It's very important to know the Greek in this because you get the understanding. But again, what is the best interpretation of Scripture? Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we already read, right? Coverings. He says the covering of the man is what? Jesus, and the covering of the woman is the man, right? It's just talking about an, an operation, right? So 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, if you read that, he also said women are to what? Women are able to speak. They're able to what? Prophesy, prophets, prophetesses, right? So we see that. So wait a minute. Laleo, which is a different word we see over there, lo. So how can it be both? Wouldn't that be contradicting scripture? No, of course not. All right, 2,000 years ago, culture's important. You had gone into a synagogue or a church. Women sat on one side. Men sat on the other, right? Today you do that, I think there's a problem in your marriage, right? I'm worried about your marriage. We've got to have marital counseling. But but normally you'd go on a right side, you know, you go on the left side. Okay. Now, I made a joke in first service, so I'll keep. I'll share the same thing because it's a perfect example. I said in the church office, there's times downstairs uh, we might be doing counseling. You know, different pastors are here during the day, and we're meeting with people, and things are going on, and um, we might have somebody in the church office uh, just say, Hey, pastor! While the while somebody else is in counseling or in the prayer in the back, you know, and they're just doing it harmlessly, they're just getting their attention, right? But for those that are in counseling at that moment, especially if the door's open, if it's a man counseling a woman like that, the door will always be open. And so, what do you think that person? What you know? They're in the middle of a counseling. They're hearing from the Lord. They're studying. What just? And certainly, nobody was doing that to to be disruptive, but it does what? So picture uh, ladies over here. You're hearing something, and, you know, guys, you're over here, and your ladies, the wives are like, Honey, is thats that is that what is that what that means? Is that what you study too? Do you see how context matters? That, that would be what? That would be inappropriate. That would be an interruption, wouldn't it be? Right? It would be disruptive, right? I think we all get that. I know that even happens. I I, I said the first, story, I laugh out, I, I laugh because I see as wives and husbands sit together, there's times, you know, the hey you know, they'll be telling each other, and I, you know, and I'm watching them as they play tic-tac-toe in the Bible. And um, you know, and the whole thing is going on. And I sit there and I'm thinking in my, you know, I'm thinking, well, is this the time to go into First Corinthians 14? No. I'm thinking, you know, this is a good example. And then I see guys sometimes, hey, you know, they're talking their wives, you're off. And really what they want to say to each other in love is, look, I only get to hear the man for 45 minutes. The Lord speak, you know, through the word of God. Hey, can I just have this 45 minutes where I can just focus on the word of God? I just want to hear Jesus and I want to hear the spirit. You know, certainly I'm not saying we can't talk. To, you know, I, we do that, right? But it, you get the point. If somebody was here yelling over there, that would be disrupting. And how do I know that that's the context? Well, if I keep reading on, I see that. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to leo, speak, right? But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to, what? Learn something. So they're asking a question. They want to know something. They're asking their husband. And is that wrong? Absolutely not. They should The pastor of the home, they want to ask their husband questions and things like that. It's good that the wife wants to ask her husband the question. Just not across one side of the sanctuary to the other, out loud, could be disruptive, which is what was happening in Corinth. He says, let them learn something and let them ask their own husbands. Do you see that? So you can't miss the context. At home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church that way. It's shameful for the woman to turn around and hear that and be disrupted by that. Or did the word of God, now Paul makes this very clear here. He he kind of comes back and goes, now, who had direct revelation from Jesus Christ? Just saying, right? I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing Paul. But that's what he's kind of saying. Or, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only that it reached? Or were you only that it reached? If anyone thinks to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. He draws a juxtaposition from that. He says, when you do things according to the word of God, you're following in righteousness. When you do things contrary to the word of God, that would be considered what? Ignorant. Ignorant. That's what he's saying. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. So he goes back, and he makes sure he ties it back for them, that, hey, look, we're not saying don't manifest the gifts. We're not saying don't do these things. You know, we're not saying don't speak in a tongue. Don't, we're going to say, hey, encourage prophecy today. That's how we know the gifts are still alive and well for us today, right? It's commanded by Scripture. He just said, hey, if it's a commandment of the Lord, I write to you that these are the commandments of the Lord, right? Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. He says, not in confusion, but with peace. Isn't that what he said earlier? Verse 33, for God is is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So not in confusion, but with peace. And that's what happens when we we use or manifest the gifts of God with decency. and order. It's beautiful. And there is such just a purity of God and his spirit, and he does that. And it's all done with decency and order, and it's wonderful. So don't, hopefully now that we've gone through these passages and talked about the gifts, don't be afraid of the gifts. Pray for the gift of prophecy. Pray for the gift of tongue. Pray for all the gifts, the word of knowledge, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12. Pray for all of them, what God wants to manifest. to, And don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid to bring your friends because you're not going to see people barking like dogs, okay? All things will be done in decency and order because we have the most important, essential fruit of it all. And what was that again? Love. Love in the middle. That's what holds it all together, Amen. Let's stand and pray. Let's ask the musicians. Actually, we're gonna we're not gonna close with a song uh, because of our times. Let's just stand and pray. Normally, we would close a song, but we're a little bit over here, so. God is so faithful, Father. Thank you, Lord, that. Your love is never failing, Lord. Thank you that agape love is not something we perform, Lord. Even when our flesh doesn't agree, Lord God, we know that when we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would strengthen each and every one of us here this morning, that we would do all things with decency and order. God, we know that love is the foundation of Christianity. For you told us in uh, John three sixteen, Lord, without, um, without your son, we would no love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for that. We thank you and worship you. Lord, as we celebrate your birth, as we look to your birth, knowing that you came outside of creation, into creation, that you could demonstrate as an example to us true selflessness, true love, agape love living sacrifice that is all of our reasonable services. God, we pray for faith and strength to do that today. We pray you equip us. Lord, we pray you renew minds here and wash minds, that we would not be caught up in the cares of this world or overcome by the cares. But Lord, we would seek that peace, knowing that anything that reeks of that confusion and Um, giftings of superiority, God, is not of you, but of man. In these last days, Lord, we know how important it is for these gifts to be manifested and for love to go forward as a fruit. So God, fill us anew here this morning. Baptize us anew. Fill us and refresh us that we can do all the things that you'd have for us because we know that only what's poured in can be poured out. So give us what we need for this day, Lord, and for tomorrow and the ongoing week. Until we're together again, may we encourage, may we build up, may we stir up, may we comfort one another. And may we do it all for your glory, Jesus. All things belong to you. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.